0: Welcome back, all you weirdos, Kirkoans, and everyone who's ever told, hey, you better put those toys away before going off to play at a friend's house. Reporting in from my basement, my name is Jason. I'm here with my Pacific host, Pal Ruben. Hey, Jason. Good to talk to you again. Good to talk to you, too. Today's Big X Book of the Week represents the end of an era, the coda, the epilogue, the shave and a haircut, two bits of not only the Judgment Day event, but of Kieran Gillen's whole time on the Eternals, a run that started back in January 2021, almost two years ago. This is, of course, Judgment Day Omega, and I'm pretty excited to talk about it. I don't like everything about the book, but I'm excited to talk about the book. How about you, Ruby?
1: Yeah, I am, too. I'm curious, um, after we have this conversation, am I going to ultimately decide that Kieran Gillen was conceited or
0: clever with his kind of wrapping up of the um era. We will be getting to that in a moment, but uh, we are also going to talk a little more briefly about two more X books that came out this week. Those being Wolverine number 26 and Legion of X number 7. Two also interesting books, but really, really different from each other. Really does show the, the breadth of what's going on in the Capone world this week. But first, we are going to go to Axe Judgment Day Omega, written by, of course, Kieran Gillen and art by Guy Blanova. Now, this was a montage kind of a book. There's no overall plot. It's just Kieran Gillen kind of checking in with a lot of characters and saying, here's where they are now. Going forward, it's it's put you know putting the toys back in the boxes. You know to steal Jim's metaphor, uh, making it so that these characters are usable for whoever the next writer on these characters is going to be, probably somewhere well down the line. So that there's there's some story beats that are ready to go to, to pr- go forward, and there's some that are just blank sky, blank slate, do what you want with it. So I think it really shows, you know, almost like a certain level of, of class or respect from Kieran Gillen to Marvel and to those future writers to say, okay, I'm not just gonna Know, you know, break all the toys and leave them scattered around the room. And, you know, Grant Morrison kind of known for doing a bit of that with his characters. A little a little more uh, more team player here.
1: One thing I dislike is when a writer completely resets the characters that he told stories with to their kind of starting point. And so I do appreciate that although uh, Gillen sort of lines up the characters and sort of clean locations and says, like, this is what they're doing today and going forward, things did change. You know, there's the death of C- C- Um, Druig is sort of out of the picture, so conceivably the next time you pick up the Eternals, there's an option to tell a story with a different kind of key
0: adversary. I mean,
1: they could just get Droog out of the exclusion, right? That'll happen at some point. But there's hope <laughs> that it'll be a different story.
0: Yeah, that's that's true. There are some places it seems like, well, this whole run didn't even matter because we're right back you know, where we were in, in issue number one. But that's certainly not the case here. I mean, whether you care about Eternals or not, these cast of characters did, did grow and change a little bit. I mean, Ajax, of course, is the most challenging change, I mean, except for, you know, of course, Cersei, of course. And we're going to go through this book scene by scene just because we want to check with all these characters and just give them the send off that they deserve. So here in scene number one, we have Makari retelling the events of the Judgment Day event in this mythic, magical, almost neon lights kind of a style. Clearly, this is the version of events that she wants to be remembered going forward. It reminds me of uh, Exodus and whatever that one... uh, one book where he's talking about the great Magneto when teaching the children about Magneto the hero, that's the version he wanted to be remembered. This is the version that Macari wants to be remembered. Uh, she calls Cersei our first martyr, which for a race of eternal, that's that's a pretty big deal. And just the idea of first, like I guess that if there's a first, that leaves very much open the idea that there's going to be more, which is little a little uncomfortable. Uh, she says this is the first book of Ajax Celestia. And again, saying that there's a first book implies there's going to be a second book. And Ajax herself says that the second book will be called Heresy. Hmm. What do you think of that?
1: <laughs> well, they are heretics, right? I think everyone who is now not part of the um, Zerus faction of Eternals is viewed as a heretic. And so they're just
0: doing different things which is kind of a new beat for Eternals. It It is. And so we, we turn the page and we get a data page where we find out really what, what Zora is talking about. And he really wants to get not exactly back to how things were before all this nonsense happened, but you know, more or less, okay, yep, some things happened. We got to change a little bit, but now it's back to business as usual. It says, I've resumed my position as Prime Eternal. This is his daily briefing, number three billion and a bunch, you know, again, driving home the point that this has been going on for a long time, it's gonna keep going on for a long time, and here's just one more day. He tells us that uh Eros should be regarded as a true eternal, so, you know, one of us. He gets the position Pope Minister for Change, which I I think is kind of a dumb title. It, it seems like something a little kid would make up.
1: Yeah. I just dropped the Pope part and just say he's the minister of change and nobody would... <laughs> that <laughs> that, that would be idea. better. That certainly would be an improvement. Yeah. I don't know why they to throw in the sort of religious thing. It's sort of it's almost poking fun at the yeah, idea.
0: I think that's that's going to be a refrain I have for this whole book is that Gillum kind of paints over everything with this kind of religious... Very shallow idea of what religion is and should be. It it kind of feels a lot times like it's somebody sophomore year in college who's sitting around and maybe got their first crack at a, a really prime baggy the of the good green stuff and is now talking about religion and it's, it seems deep in the moment, but then the next day you wake up and think, boy, that was that was just kind of a lot of blather. So at least that you know again, that's that's my take on Gillen's view of how religion works. So that's Eros the. Next point is that the world knows about eternal resurrection and what the cost of it is going to be. And Juris says, hey, no brainwashing everybody. We're not going to do a purple kid with uh daredevil and say, oops, retcon, yeah, forget about that. Just pretend nobody knows, undo the secret identity. This is going to be the status quo going forward, at least if Kieran Gillen is anything to say about it, that the Eternals are going to have to learn to live with this knowledge out there.
1: Yeah. And my point of view on this is... And this is where I'm really like oscillating between thinking this is a clever wrap up and a sort of surface level story is either he's saying basically, you know, the Eternals, the, the idea of the Eternals as characters, they were sort of cool, but they're flawed and they need to be told in a different way to be a sustainable character group within the Marvel Universe. Or he's making a bigger picture point, which is um like we're sort of meta commentary like don't like things should not just always be reset like you have to have progress there has to be improvements and here i am going to uh quote-unquote, fix the X-Men by saying, you know, we've got a new scapegoat to be the everybody hates us group, right? They're the Eternals now. Everybody hates the Eternals. We don't have to reset the X-Men mutants to be, you know, us against the world. If that's, you know, if that bigger point of view is like his goal and people actually, you know, buy into that and follow, then hey, this this was a great, you know, important story. Because it'd be nice... (laughs) I think I've said, you know, I don't mind if the Krakow era ends. I know that'll make a lot of people happy, but God, please don't go back to what we always get with X-Men, which is humanity hates them, and there's not that many of them, and woe is me, we're heroes, but we're not liked, right? Like, we can have that with the Eternals now, right? Do something else with the X-Men.
0: Of course, that depends on other writers remembering that the Eternals exist and kind of mentioning them in the stories, and I guess we'll have to see if, if that happens or if they just completely disappear again. Because the, the Eternals are a group of characters that just, for long stretches of time, just don't even get mentioned, even though they are supposed to be so tightly tied in with the history of Earth. The next thing that comes up is say, okay, we're going to pay, this is Zurus again, See, so we got to pay some reparations to humans, so we'll give them some technology, give them some clean energy, which again, feels like the kind of thing that won't need to be mentioned in any other story. Like, okay, it, we're not going to have suddenly... In every other book, in, in Amazing Spider-Man, oh, this energy's fixed. We don't need to mine coal or have nuclear power anymore. It's just, just done. But it is a thing to a- acknowledge, yeah, oh, who started this whole thing? Oh, it, it was it was really Druig's fault, and Druig was Prime Eternal, so Eternals have to say to the rest of the world, you know, oops, our bad, and, uh, you know make a little apology. Zorus. then, you know, admits, you know, we have made mistakes and we must be better, which don't seem that big. But again, I think for a prime eternal speaking, not just for like a country, it would be hard enough for, you know, an elected politician to say, you know, our country's made mistakes in the past. Maybe easier if you could blame it on the other party, but that doesn't really work for Eternals, right? They are the Eternals. For Zorus, the most conservative in all senses of the Eternals to say, yeah, we have to be better, That's kind of a big deal.
1: Yep. Yeah, he's never really admitted a mistake. And so I think that's a big character development for him, right? Realizing that he's not flawless. It
0: is indeed. And our next change is that Druig has been excluded. And we get the nice little line there, I told you so. Which is a fun little callback to Druig having replaced Zorus as Prime Eternal. Uh, back at the end of Eternals number 12. And this is kind of saying, hey, you, you guys tried something different. You tried to not have me in charge, and look what happened. So just remember that next time we get together to have one of these elections, maybe maybe keep old Zurus a steady hand at the till. He tells us next, he talks about our other group of Eternals. He says, hey, everybody, Ajax." She's a heretic. She herself says she's a heretic, so don't follow her. Yeah. I know she's a celestial and we're supposed to listen to the celestials, but maybe don't listen to this one so much. And if Ajax followers do, quote, interfere with our principles, those followers are to be captured and excluded. So they're not really at war with each other, but there's certainly an uneasy kind of peace that we're keeping our eye on you, and if you step out of line, you heretics, we're gonna, you know, we're, we're prepared. To step in and stop that now, maybe that'll be an opportunity for conflict in whatever the next future series is, or maybe that'll be something that gets cleaned up in between series and start off from a different blank slate.
1: I will be furious if that is the case, <laughs> probably will some writer will not read this, and they'll they'll just be all hanging out
0: <laughs> just having. Have an ice cream sodas together. Yeah, Cersei just comes in. Oh, where have you been? Oh, I was just I was you know visiting someone. I was I was planning some parties over in London. Yeah, and finally we do hear that yes, the machine who has been our narrator and our uh, really one of our favorite characters for this whole Gillyn run has been well and truly reset. And whatever the uh, progenitor did to undo things, he did not do that reset. So the machine is back to its out of the box factory condition and. That seems to have cleared up some of the recent bugs, which, you know, hey, the bugs were what we liked. We liked our little silly earth, you know, making little movie references and jokes. So that's a little sad. From here, we go to visit the Robeson family house in New York. And uh, this really recalls some scenes from The Eternals. We know this is, this is the boy who died to resurrect Icarus back when Icarus died to save the whole world to fix the machine. And back then, Icarus was prevented from revealing why Toby died. The family just knew that somehow Icarus had failed to protect their boy. But now... Mom Sophia knows. And when Icarus shows up, she you know, she tries to take out her anger on him. She punches him, stabs him, scalds him with cooking oil. And this has no effect, of course. And Icarus just, he, he knows what's going on. He's not angry. He just stands there and takes it. And she burns herself in the process. And this scene ends in just the two of them sitting side by side on the floor in, in despair. It's really a, an emotionally effective but a, like emotionally difficult scene. So what did, what did you take out of this?
1: Yeah, I agree. It's sad to see Icarus this way, but it's nice that he has remorse and regret, right? Makes him a more interesting character.
0: I, it I, does. I mean, he is like the the superman of the group and to for superman to take responsibility for a failing is a tough thing, but it's, you know, part of what being superman is and I guess this is supposed to be Icarus's character adapting and evolving and growing up a little bit too, which is An interesting thing for him to to do.
1: And again, I'm going to be disappointed when the next writer has him.
0: Let's not get disappointed ahead of time. We'll, We'll save that. We will, let's make a promise, when the next time the Eternals come out, you and I, wherever we are in the world, we'll do at yeah. least one show talking about how angry we are how <laughs> they changed it. <them. laughs> yeah. That's our promise to you, the listener. Now we fly off to London, and we visit Sign the Mimitor and Sally. Now, Sign has to go back into cold storage with the rest of her sisters, uh, which again, that's really sad. She was a-, a cool character. She's been locked up for millions of years. She knows that she has to be locked up for maybe millions of years again, because she's just too dangerous, too powerful. But uh, before she does that, she's kind of doing a tour like Icarus did, going to all the families whose lives were used to resurrect her. During these battles, she got killed a few times. So whatever humans had to die to resurrect her, she's going and explaining this to the families, which is, I guess I'm glad we don't see those scenes. Those are probably more fun to think about than actually show us on panel. because. Will be redundant.
1: Yeah, I don't need to see
0: apologies from a character that we're never going to see again. She does stop to chat with Sally and, you know, encourage her to start her poetry zine and, you know, have another little... It, it, it's fun to see this chat between these, you know, two, you know, two gals who want to chat with each other and talk about poetry and, you know, stuff like that. But, you know, one of them is a regular person, the other is a 500-foot-tall flaming kaiju monstrosity, so... That's, that's fun to see.
1: Yeah, it, it did make me laugh. And then I worried, is this some sort of clever, you know, self-referential statement, right? When she says, you know, write what you know, what what do you write when you know skyscraper-sized Poet Destroyers? And then the Mimitar saying, you just write. I'm like, Karen Gillan, are
0: you saying that you're Sally? A little trite. <laughs> but anyways,
1: um, it, it was, yeah, I like the characters. I like the interactions.
0: It is nice to be able to say goodbye to sign the Mimitar. The character with one of the dumber names ever, but turned out to be so much more interesting and and deeper than I thought when I first saw the name and the the sketches. So that's a victory. Now we're off back to the Temple of Ajax Celestia, where we see who who's going to make up this band of heretics, and it turns out to be mostly that same main cast who went off to live in Lemoria for a while, and the ones we followed through all of uh, Gillen's time. So we have Fastos. Uh, we have Kingo. We have Sprite. Hey, Sprite exists. We haven't seen Sprite do anything on panel for a long, long time. Uh, we see Thena. We see Makari, And of course, we see Ajax, Celestia herself. And Eros stops by, and they invite him to join, but says, no, Eros is still has to work with Zurus. He has kind of a deal with Zurus to help out. And he I guess he's never really been part of the Eternals, so I'm sure he wants to hang out with the whole group for a while.
1: Yeah, I think we have to pat ourselves on the back for having read that data page that had, what, the 101 Eternals listed and didn't include Sprite. <laughs> that was all you, actually, but uh, I thought it was going to mean something,
0: and apparently it was just a mistake. Womp, womp. Oh, well. <laughs> Yeah, so then we hear Ajak herself show up and go on a little bit about her new philosophy, which again, to me, is a little vague and hand-wavy and mostly boils down to be, let's try to be better. Which, you know, okay, I'm not against being better, but I'm sure they're not the first person in the whole history of the Eternals to think about, let's be better, but maybe flesh out a little bit more what what exactly that means. What does it mean to be better?
1: Yeah, I read it as more like, hey, next writer of the Eternals, you can't just write these characters as adhering to four principles. That's kind of boring. (laughs) They need to have more to them than just that. And... You know, yes, those are the core principles, but you can develop these characters with, you know, other agendas that aren't just these four things. And I guess it was really three things, right? The fourth. We do get a
0: data page of this, which is Ajax's new take on these principles. So the first, of course, is protect Celestials. And Ajax says, yep, got to do that. You can't attack Celestials. You can't even attack me. And I'm only kind of, you know, sort of, kind of at second remove Celestial. Now, would Ajax Celestia herself be able to attack other celestials? I don't know. I'd like to see that maybe in a, in a future volume. Ajax Celestia versus, you know, Arisham yeah, or Celestia whatever the up. other celestials are. I can't remember the names. So, what Ajax adds on here is the recognition that, yeah, you you have to protect them, but recognize celestials can do bad things too. And Eternal should protect celestials from their own bad decisions. And how exactly? Well, that's, that's the next author's problem. Number two, protect the machine. Ajax says that Eternals are part of the machine and that they should protect each other. Another kind of a happy slogan greeting card thing. Again, fine, but okay. Number three, correct excess deviation. And Ajax goes kind of a long way and says this means you should protect the weak from the dangerous. It's just not really the same thing. So I I think this is the one where Ajak is really stretching it the most from the the plain meaning of the word. She's like, if she's on the Supreme Court, she's not an original understanding kind of a person. She's a a living constitutionalist. That was not a metaphor I expected to use today, but hey, I'm going to go with it. I know, you're speaking my language, so kudos. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, what would Justice Scalia have to say about this? Okay. And finally, we have the brand new principle. You have 24 hours to justify yourself. And I guess we're enshrining that as a fourth principle, even though that 24 hours very specifically passed. But the lesson here is that every day matters and act where you can as often as you can. Do you want to gamble with me that this is not going to be ever referenced again as a fourth principle? It, it seems unlikely, in, unless somebody is super excited out there about Ajax Celestia and just going to make her the, the main character, the main driving force, yeah. which is possible. But I th- again, I think whatever happens, it's going to be a couple of years before this comes out and we'll probably mostly have forgotten about this. And then in conclusion, and this is the part that I thought was maybe just a little bit too cute, a little bit too clever. The principles are not enough. What's more important is to be principled. And again, it sounds kind of deep until you think about it and then you realize it it doesn't actually mean anything because to be principled is to follow some set of principles. So it kind of just goes in a circle.
1: (laughs) It's like, uh, I did. I
0: followed these three things. That makes me principled. (laughs) <laughs> kind, of, kind of one of those I'm 13 and this is deep moments. So leaving them behind, we fly off to the exclusion where we see uh, that, yeah, we knew Druid was going to be Oronos' new cellmate and all the uncomfortable prison abuse connotations that kind of came with that. And oh yeah, orinos is very much enjoying Druid as his new plaything just beating the snot out of him. I guess he's not actually killing him off because that would kill another human, and then Druig would appear somewhere else, but I'm sure Ornos is really good at going right up to the edge of what it takes to kill an eternal and then stopping right there. Kinda kinda nasty. I mean it's it's we want to see Druig get his comeuppance, but this this is uncomfortable.
1: Yeah, I really don't like this scene. It seems like I don't know, vengeance, unnecessary vengeance. Just throw him in a cell, right? Like the idea of being imprisoned for eternity seems like a
0: good punishment, right? Yeah, we saw more poetic punishments for other eternals, like the one who saw one pixel turn on for every person who died because of their actions and how blindingly glowing white all the walls became. And that was, oh, you know, that's that seems like more of an ancient Greek, you know, something that would happen to you in Hades where the, the grapes were over your head and the water's rising and you know, all those poetic punishments, maybe even out of Dante. This is just, yeah, you're going to get your ass kicked every day. Yeah, all right.
1: If this had been framed more as, like, I'm disappointed in you being a weakling, I'm going to toughen you up. And then he was, you know, kind of, I guess, fighting him. But, like, and he and Drew being kind of like the, I don't want to get physically involved in things.
0: Not It'd enjoying at least that. more character to that, yeah. It would exactly. have been
1: better, right? Like, because we did see earlier. Uh, Uranus saying he was like disappointed in Druid, right? And then we could have a nice, interesting, like, the next time we see Druid, he's actually a tough guy kind of thing. And, it could be. It could know, be. Like, super uncomfortable, like, prison abuse stuff. And it, like, if you're trying to say that it's a good thing that Zeus is in charge now, like, he still comes across as an asshole. And, I think I said, like, he, every time we see Zerus, he's presented that way, which is not the Jack Kirby, like, idea of him being, like, the, the best, most principled mystical character. Um, that's kind of – for me, it's disappointing. Yeah,
0: I, I think it was fine to have that part kind of implied. We didn't need to see it in all its, you know, bleeding from the nose grandeur here. And we also have Zurus now explain to Oranos the whole deal about the mutants having a claim on one hour of their time. And that's like the, the one bit that feels like it might actually come up in X-Men comics in the nearish future. I mean, that might actually happen before the end of the Krakoan era.
1: Yeah, I'm actually expecting this showing up in Sins of Sinister
0: since Gillen is writing, right? It very well could. That could be something that Gillen put in here because he wants to use it right away. And that's, that's something that could keep the Eternals, you know... Alive a little longer. Our next scene, we go off to Lemuria, and we see Thena and Crow having a talk. And remember, this is where all our main cast Eternals were living. Last we we heard about them before this event, they were trying to learn from the changing people. Uh, And just like Ajak is trying to free the Eternals from the principles, we also hear that she's working on trying to free the Deviants from the curse of excess deviation, which would be you know a nice thing. We have human scientists working on you know cures for cancer, cures for other you know diseases of excess in humanity. It would certainly be nice to have that happen. So what would the deviants be if they didn't have have that? That's kind of an interesting question, too. They chat a little bit about Cersei's death, which is poignant for Crow, because he and Cersei had been briefly an item. But of course, Crow and Thea had been an item for much, much longer. And uh, Thena asked, well, will we ever get back together? And I, I like Crow's response. He says, probably, and also, let's hope not, which is a funny combination. And it, it really does sum up, they're not exactly good for each other, even if they had some laughs.
1: Yes. Yeah. I actually felt like unlike some of the other scenes that were surface level, I felt like this was a pretty good, like deep conversation between these characters. Like, hey, you have a grasp of who they are and kind of like what their attitude towards each other might be at this point.
0: It feels like there's emotional depths going on below the surface that don't have to be spelled out right there on panel. But those of us who have read these characters for a while can can tell they're there, which is nice. Next, scene seven, we go off to Krakoa, and this is the one part where he really tries to be not just an Eternals thing, but remember, oh yeah, the uh, the mutants were wrapped up in this too. So Fastos shows up through one of those hexagonal teleporting things, uh, and he has a message from the machine that is Earth to the mutants, but more specifically to Krakoa. And this is, again, a retcon that is either super, super important, or may never be said, referenced again. And he explains that uh, when the Celestials arrived on Earth a, a zillion years ago, Koa, the sentient island, was already there.
1: Yeah, I felt like that was a big, like, whoa moment. But it is... It, curious like will this be referenced again does this matter right marvel loves it
0: here's where things really started you thought they started here but no 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 that actually goes much back so much further and this is
1: before <laughs> the bc avengers right <laughs>
0: <laughs> and krakow a mutant but this was around not only before mutants but before humans before deviants before celestials krakow is now like although i guess it wouldn't be Krokoa, what it would be okara yeah because this must have been before the big split so let's say okara is already there And the Celestials, we're told, used Okara as a template for the machine that is Earth, a template for this basic operating system that keeps an eye on things, which is, again, a really super cool idea, but it very well might not be mentioned ever again. And this message is from the machine, presumably right before it was reset, saying goodbye to its Pseudo pair, pretty cool.
1: Yeah, I thought it was a cool little
0: moment. Do you think we'll ever hear anyone mention again that? Oh, by the way, Krakoa was the model for Machine that was Earth.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Are you really asking me that question? I, that's never going to come up again unless Kieran Gillen is writing something where he gets to mention it.
0: A nice little little uh, trivia question in a couple of years at some convention, right? No one's going to know the answer to that one. Who was who was the uh, the template from Machine That Is Earth? Okay, now we go back to uh, the Robeson's house once again. Icarus arrives and I'm not sure why but Icarus's head is now bald. What do you make of that?
1: I think this is one of those like I'm miserable, I'm going to try to do something and look different, right? You always see that in like the movies, right? Like some big trauma happens and then the person cuts their hair. So that's that's all I think this is. Yeah, it's
0: like he's he's trying to just show penance. He has this jacket that with a hood that looks a lot like a monk's robe. So that's, that's kind of the vibe I'm getting like a a monk who goes to a monastery and and Shaves their head and dresses in very, very simple ways, and I think that's what Icarus is trying to do. Now he is going to be living with the Robesons. Uh Sophia says, "Yeah, we have a, a spare room, so you're gonna you're gonna move in. It's not gonna be Toby's room because that'll be super weird. but well, it's gonna be another room. He had a brother, Alex. We haven't heard from Alex in a long time, but maybe Alex has gone off to college. Maybe Alex still lives there. Who knows?" Now, Icarus and Sophia aren't exactly friends going forward, but they're very much tied in with each other's lives. And that's, that's kind of interesting. That's a different kind of relationship between an eternal and a human. We've seen like romantic relationships, but this is a different kind of a thing. And Sophia asks Icarus, so what are you going to do now? And he says, again, the main point that uh, Gillen wants to make that's kind of vague everything I can. He wants to do good. He wants to help out. He wants to be a positive force. And on these last few pages, we see Icarus and then some of the other now heretic Eternals doing what I'm just going to call general capital G, D, capital D, good deeds for humans, right? Changing a tire, stopping a robbery, that whole kind of thing.
1: And if we're going to say that Icarus is Superman, this is basically like oh, yeah. Ma Kent that doesn't like Superman, which I actually think is a <laughs> it's an interesting different dynamic right i i do like that and um yeah i mean superman would be going around doing good deeds right he does all the time but he does uh,
0: but not out of the same sense of guilt
1: so i I think it's a cool new status quo for icarus it's it's a different thing and i can imagine some people telling some cool stories with that i can also imagine again the next time we see icarus he's not going to have this complexity to his character. Now, and maybe if, if
0: I were pitching the next Eternals book, maybe it wouldn't have it be Eternals. Maybe it'd have the next Eternals book just be Icarus and you know, follow him on this, this journey that he's on to try to redeem himself, try to feel better about what he now knows are all the deaths he's caused over the years and see him come to grip with him being a superhero, being an Eternal but also trying to be humble among the humans.
1: Yeah, no, I, th- I think that's, that's great. Do
0: it. Uh, and then we close on some narration boxes. Just like we started Gillen's whole time off by having the machine that is Earth kind of introduce us to things, the new, now somewhat more boring machine that is Earth says, yep, the heretics and the orthodox, those are our two group of Eternals. The machine that is Earth is fully operational. No malfunction remains. And in our very last narration box before the end is a sideways winking smile. What do you think of that? <laughs> Too clever. <laughs> it's right on the edge, right? Because yeah. it makes me happy to think that, oh, this character I loved so much isn't quite gone. Yeah, we saw it should be gone.
1: Maybe, maybe the nature of the machine is that it always kind of breaks down and develops a personality.
0: I guess. I mean, it took billions of years for it to happen the first time. So- this is pretty quick. But I mean, it is nice that after this kind of a downer ending to have that little bit of you know a literal wink, a little bit of hope, a little bit of humor, and on an upbeat note, I get that.
1: I also think that you've really got this sort of um, you know DC parallels idea in my head, um, like a reverse. Um, gosh, what did DC do recently? The New Age of Heroes, right? Where they kind of doff the Marvel characters.
0: Homaged, sure, right?
1: This is almost Marvel doing that with Justice League, right? Because we've got Icarus who now looks like Superman. We've got Dina flying, I guess she would be like what Wonder Woman? Makari is the Flash. So that that last page where you have all these characters, it's like, are they saying that they're basically the Marvel version of the Justice League
0: now? Boy, I I hope not. I don't I don't like that idea at all. I (laughs) I I like that they're a a group of superheroes, but they have this this little solemn melancholy edge to them because of what's going on. So that was the Omega issue. And who should buy this issue? Well, this is for fans of the Eternals, specifically fans of Kieran Gillen's Eternals. If you know, you've been like Reuben and me who really enjoyed that whole... Arc, you have to have this issue to, to cap it off. Uh, if you're just a general Marvel fan, or if you're someone who just jumped on for the event, or if you're an X Men fan, it's not really necessary. I, I understand why, like Gabe on the site reviewed it in you know in text, wasn't as big a fan because he's not into the Eternals and he was looking at it from an event point of view. And from that point of view, you ju- you don't need it.
1: The event ended last issue for sure, and I don't think anything that happens in this issue is like you know key wrap up of the event and the things that would carry forward into like future Marvel stories kind of were already hinted at if not
0: yeah. the the hour of Oranos was already out there the only new thing that X-Men fans might want to know about is that whole Krakoa being the template for the machine that is earth but again that doesn't really have going forward implications it's just a little nice a nice thing to know
1: that's not yeah don't buy this issue for that it's <laughs> not a
0: podcast for that Yes, yes. So yeah, overall, this is just a grab bag of scenes. It's, it's nice to have a little a little cap for us fans. And I guess as that, I'm going to say it's mostly successful, and I'm going to give it an eight out of 10. But again, an eight out of 10 to a very small select group of discerning comic book readers.
1: I, I liked it enough. I think it's more like a seven, but um maybe a 7.5 in my heart. But for quality of issues, it's not a bad issue. It's just not
0: not critical. Okay, so that is all we have to say about the very end of our Judgment Day event. Next up, we're on to a really, really different book. This is so tonally and art-wise and writing different. It's just a whole different universe, practically. And this is Wolverine number 27, The Beast Agenda colon Skulls. Because we're, we're dark and we're gritty and we're talking about skulls because... Were written by Ben Percy and art by Juan Jose Rip, who likes to draw violets. And I'm going to stop doing that because that's going to kill my throat.
1: Do you think there's some body horror in this issue? <laughs>
0: <laughs> there um, is. And I'm going to question some of the physics too, but uh, we'll get to that. Now, I'm going to talk about this in chronological order, not the order it happens in the book, because it's, it's told with a surprising flashback that I don't know if it's necessary. So, what well, we left off with this last issue out, we had Wolverine and uh, the Big Lebowski were kind of captured by the merchant and the merchant was selling off pieces of Wolverine that were going to grow back like infinite NFTs. And then Beast pops up and says, hey, how much do I have to pay to kill Wolverine? And it turns out this wasn't a trick. This wasn't something they had set up beforehand. We see Beast pay up and then right there in front of the merchant and all those other bidders, he stabs Logan to death with a moderately large pocket knife. And um, okay, should that Should that be possible? I didn't see any power dampening technology. I just saw a beast with a knife stab Wolverine to death. I mean, we saw Deadpool survive being decapitated and eaten by a polar bear in a Ben Percy written book, and he grew back from nothing but a head. Logan's grown back from, what, like a thumbnail, I think, in the past. So... How does Logan die here? Shouldn't that be explained? Yes. Yeah.
1: I, I can't stand this issue. And I think from a lot of angles, unless this is the dark beast, which we've talked about a few times, this is making in my he's mind- He's
0: certainly a dark beast. I don't know if he's the dark beast.
1: <laughs> Correct. Yeah. This is like irre- irredeemable Hank, right? And then as you say, like this is a pretty impressive pocket knife if, <laughs> if this is the thing that could somehow kill Logan.
0: Uh, for it's good. the Muramasa uh, Swiss army knife, I guess. Yes. But Percy's not interested in that. We just have to accept, yep, Beast is Beast has killed Wolverine. Wolverine is and dead. He killed him, yes. He cuts Wolverine's head off with this pocket knife. I mean, Beast is strong. I, I, okay, I'll go with that. Admantium vertebrae? Uh, okay, don't think about that. Uh, and Beast then has a disagreement with the merchant over what to do with the body. It's a vibranium pocket knife. That's gotta be what it is. I, I guess so. So Beast wants to have the body, but uh, the merchant says, yeah, you didn't pay for the body. You paid to kill Wolverine, which, again, I think he has a point. But, uh, Beast throws Logan's decapitated head at, like, the groin area of the merchant, and then I guess just kills all the merchant's men. Uh, I did think it was kind of fun that, you know, he is the beast. He is, you know, a lovable, blue haired, you know, charming guy, quote, Shakespeare, but he's also, you know, a killing machine. And he does kill everybody pretty easily, but he is kind of out of breath afterwards because he's been working a desk job. And I think some of us can really relate to that. So we do see uh, Jeff Bannister. We don't see what Beast does with Jeff Bannister, but we do see Beast grab him. And I don't imagine that Beast actually kills the guy. I mean, Beast would, but we see. He has no problem with killing anybody to keep his plans going forward. But if he did, Percy would not have been squeamish about putting that on panel. So we don't know what happens. You think he killed him?
1: I think he he didn't show it to make it a question. But yeah, just so we have another reason to hate him, right? When Wolverine regains his memories and then guys for Jeff, and then he's
0: like, you killed a human. That is, I guess, a mystery going forward, and we'll have to see what happens. Yeah. So, moving forward in, you know, in real time, even though not in the book order, Wolverine gets resurrected, and right away, Beast just snaps some kind of Krokoan control collar on him. Hope and, and Tempo are there, and they see this really weird behavior from Beast. But, you know, I guess they're just too busy to say anything about this to the Quiet Council. I mean, I know Beast doing, you know, suspicious stuff is common, but putting Wolverine on a leash seems like Hope, who's on the Quiet Council, might might mention this to to, to Chuck. I don't know.
1: Why would Wolverine 2 just come out, like, swinging from the resurrection? We've never seen that. Because it looks cool. We've seen him come back before but now suddenly he's going to be berserker and try to kill the five
0: i don't know if we're supposed to think it's like him following up on being so angry at the moment of his death at beast although that point wouldn't have been backed up
1: correct yeah this whole thing would not work if it was all backed up and then also i swear we have seen wolverine brought back before
0: Absolutely, we have.
1: We have not seen him doing this. This is just like a convenient thing to justify the caller. We
0: we do see Hope saying he's always extremely cranky when he wakes up from resurrection. But yeah, that, that seems like it was put in to try to explain, you know, just this. It, it does look really cool, him, him bursting out of the egg with the claws of flying. But yeah, then Beast just takes control and we continue to see these several violent missions that Beast sends Wolverine out on. You know, killing a military unit, assassinating a sleeping man, killing some people in a breaking bad style for Cohen drug lab, slicing the head off a reporter. You know, nasty stuff. I, I do like the narration boxes here. We get Logan's inner monologue restricted to things like Kill Man, Man is Bad. The shows I mean just clearly that Beast is completely has control over Logan. It's it's really it's, it's Weapon X all over again. It's exactly Weapon X, yeah. Which Logan's not going to be happy about. He, that was not a good time for him, really. <laughs> that was not his happy place. But the, again, I think the art here is uh, Juan Jose Rip really doing what he does best. Just the scenes of awful violence, he makes look really cool. And there's fewer scenes in this issue of just like normal human being types sitting around and chatting, which are not his strong suit as much. So it's a, a, good, a good artist for what Ben Percy wants to happen.
1: I'm gonna say this is if you look at that Omega issue of Judgment Day, where my theory is that it's like a it's a commentary on like do something new with characters. You can't tell good stories if you just go back to the past over and over and over again. And I would say this is the kind of story that he was kind of critiquing. Oh, I like it. Cuz this is like garbage to my to me. <laughs> I'm sorry, like the art is great, but like do god, I I, I maybe I'm I'm the wrong person to comment on on like Wolverine and Wolverine fans like this, but I can't imagine people saying like, "Oh, let's do a Weapon X story again." Like, really? That's what people want? I'm sure there's probably like six of these stories before. This that have been told, and they're probably better than this. And you don't need to make Beast a total jerk to
0: tell this story. But sure, let's do it, Ben Percy.
1: I I really hate this issue.
0: He's doing a, a, a. Chris used to talk about worrying about characters being broken, right? Where you always want to change the characters a little bit, but if you push them too hard, then in the future you can't really use them to fill their story role that they always had, right? And we've seen Beast kind of getting darker and darker and darker, and how are we gonna come back from this? What are we gonna to have to do? What kind of extreme, wacky, sci-fi concept are we gonna to have to bring in to explain, oh, no, we're gonna we're gonna bring Beast back to, you know, telling jokes and jumping around to being an acrobat? And I don't know.
1: I was okay with the stuff where it was like, he's now this CIA type operative. He's decided, you know, there's no line that's not crossable to, like, protect society. But this is sort of betrayal of a teammate, right? Like, somebody he's got a very deep, long history with. That, to me, is a a bit of a bridge too far. I felt like the um when he when he brought Colossus in for questioning because of right. like the the Russia issue actually that that worked for me because I was like it's at the end of the day it's just questioning right and that's that's a fair thing to do and to worry about the possibility of like another russian character being Yeah he didn't need
0: to have him chained up and frog marched in in front of everybody he didn't need to do the perp walk yeah. but you can say okay beast has a job to do he has a role he takes his role seriously and that means he's going to do some things that he wouldn't do on his own. And then you can see, well, that's going to warp your mind a little bit when you start doing even worse things. I'm, I'm okay with that. But, you no, know, turning beast into a weapon. Too
1: many steps forward from like, I mean, maybe if I had seen this more gradually over time, it would have worked. But it feels like maybe the last two or three issues, they've just decided, I got to get to this end It story. does feel like
0: it's coming to a head because we see this meeting of X-Force minus Logan, and Beast makes some really lame excuses for why Logan's not around. And Beast says that, hey, yeah, we've been you know, doing things here, but hey, Black Tom, go do the thing we said to do. We're not going to hide away anymore. And Black Tom makes their headquarters, which looks like a giant skull, just, I guess, rise up on some tree kind of material. And we're told from Beast specifically, we're no longer hiding All of Perkoa and all of the world will now know exactly what we are, which is not at all what Beast was going to be, right? He was in the shadows on the side, influencing things from darkness, not being prominent, not being seen. So I don't understand this. I want everyone to see my Legion of Doom headquarters in the sky bit. Because that's what it is. It's a skull shaped headquarters. That's not yeah, subtle. Yeah, that's not
1: that's not subtle. I thought it was pretty cool looking. Um, oh yeah, absolutely. And the the waterfall coming out of the
0: eyes like gives you kind of the blue look. So it's sort of like beast headquarters. But it it does seem like you just found something in a video game that uh, you know there'll be a really big boss behind that waterfall. Yes. Yeah. That's
1: Zelda's gonna go in there and or not. Sorry. Oh God. But it, sorry, video game players. Link is going to go in there. <laughs> I do know
0: this, um, and there will be a very cool dungeon in there. But uh, yeah, yeah. So why why is Beast now want want the credit in public? I don't know about that. So yeah. Also, we we also further progress. The Sage is a drunk storyline where she's hanging out at the Green Lagoon. Just her word bubbles are all bubbly. She's not actually on duty, but she's Sage, so she's always on duty. And yeah, she gets. We, we really seem to be having a another kind of intervention needed here. We had one kind of intervention for Beast and this other kind of intervention for Sage. Yes. Yeah. And at the end, we see Beast at home in his cottage, which looks straight out of a Thomas Kincaid, painter of light painting, really driving home that whole banality of evil. You know, he lives in this pretty picture book place, even though he does these evil things. And we see him talking to himself about his plans and he takes out on the last page again, Keywords being, it looks cool. The adamantium coated mirrored skull of Wolverine that he just chats with, and he sees his reflection on the top of the skull in a way that, again, physics wise, I don't think that works. But you know, <laughs> it, it looks cool.
1: That's not a reflection.
0: He he carved his face into the top, of like, the skull. like Scrimshaw <laughs> with his vibranium pocket knife. It all holds together. You think about it. <laughs>
1: Yeah. I mean, it looks cool. The art in here is great. I will say that.
0: But. We've said it over and over again. It really seems like Ben Percy knows what Juan Jose Reap can do and then is writing to give him things that look cool. And I wish the story around that held together more. But if what you like from Wolverine book is some cool violence and to see Wolverine go through horrible things and presumably overcome them at the end and just see great scenes of action, you know, this is you're going to love this book. It's just if if you want these you know subtle storytelling, that's not what Ben Percy's here for.
1: Yeah, I mean, I have an I have an opinion about this, right? And that's something positive about this. Oh, sure, it does
0: it does provoke an opinion.
1: Yeah, and I and I'm happy to talk about it, so that's good. But I just I really dislike the. Um, character beats this feels to me a lot like um over what was over on dc that um something crisis the that doesn't narrow it down much the mental the mental health crisis thing That
0: oh yeah the tom king
1: bits yeah yeah where it was like completely like talkable but like the story didn't make sense in the context of who these characters were and for that like i'm gonna say for me this is like a six i just i don't like it and that six is because i can't say the art sucks But I'm very close to why you say, like, a few for
0: this. I can see see the kind of person who would like this, and that's fine if this is the book you're going for. It's just not so much – I'm worried about the character of Beast. Now, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Do you have a theory for how or if Beast is going to come back from this? No. No, I
1: think okay. it's going to be worse. I think it's going to be I'm gonna be so furious if they try to like do a hand-wash thing where it's like oh he was like under deep cover or something, right? Okay.
0: Here's and here, here's my almost almost certainly wrong theory. Probably wrong, but, but maybe it's fun. So I I picked pieces of this up from around the internet, so I'm not going to claim it's original, but here's the theory. Now we know there've been two beasts in the, the regular 616 universe for a while, right? There's the, our regular a regular beast and then there's Dark Beast from like Age of Apocalypse right? Now, well, what if when the Cerebro backups happened, there was like a little bit of a mistake and Cerebro accidentally put both backups in the same file? Interesting. So he comes back and kind of- I don't know if the timing works though, right? because we would need to have Beast be resurrected through this Coen process before he really breaks bad. So if that works out, then maybe this works and we can say, okay, well, it wasn't really Beast-Beast. It was the superposition of the two of them. And I don't know if that's what Ben Percy's going to do, but maybe that's what some writer in the future can say.
1: Yeah. I'd I'd be happy with that explanation.
0: It would help a lot. All right. I'm, I'm glad I made you happy, at least. I don't know if anyone else likes it. And yeah, I'm, I'm going to go along and say, yeah, this is probably, I'm, I'm going to give it a 6.5 out of 10 just because I can appreciate what it's trying to do, even though I give it a concerned out of 10 for the characters of Beast and Sage, you know, more, more generally. Speaking.
1: What I'm, what I'm afraid of is the real way they're going to wrap this up is he's going to realize, oh, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> that. He's going to resign. And then everyone's going to be like, well, he learned his lesson. And then eventually... And then he's going to
0: put on a a hooded sweatshirt and shave his head, (laughs) which is really funny. Yeah, (laughs) And and go visit the families of all these people he had Logan kill. Okay, so that was Wolverine. And our last book we're going to talk about today is Legion of X, number seven, written by Cy Spurrier and art by Netho Diaz. It's a new artist coming on for this arc, and I guess I have a kind of mixed reaction to it. He draws faces a little oddly, especially inside the altar, which is this astral kind of plain place. The way he draws men's faces in particular reminds me of Handsome Squidward from SpongeBob, which... I don't want to see my X-Men books. But I guess we can say, yeah, it is in the astral plane, so maybe that's why it looks weird. Uh, so there's two strands to this story, which may or may not end up being aspects of the one basic concept. So number one, we have something weird going on with Nightcrawler. And number two, we have little bits of Warlock's dead dad blowing around the astral plane. Now, I think I understand the Nightcrawler bit, so I'm going to start there. I'm going to say that okay. We start off with Nightcrawler giving the daily briefing, very much a la Hill Street Blues, and no one's listening to him though. So, so Reuben, why is no one really paying attention to anything <laughs> Chief uh, Nightcrawler, Chief Kurt has to say?
1: Yeah, because he finally has devil horns that just kind of came out of his skull, and everyone's like, "What's going on?"
0: He, he does. He has these two, you know, moderately sized devil horns, bull horns, and you know. He doesn't actually look that much weirder than usual, right? He was a funny-looking dude to begin with. Now he's just a a funny-looking dude with horns. And they're on Krakoa. I mean, probably one out of every six people has horns already. So it shouldn't be that strange. But I guess they're new, and that shouldn't happen. So Nightcrawler and Dr. Nemesis go off for help to Mr. Sinister. And yeah, I know this is your favorite part of the issue, too. It is fun. This kind of catty banter between Sinister and Nemesis. What did you like about that?
1: I mean, I'm not going to read the, the pages, but I, I laugh so hard at these two characters trying to one-up each other. And um, as always, Sinister, I think, kind of wins. He's the more effective, like, out-in-the-open super villain
0: (laughs) yeah he he gets the the lines out and and nemesis is more sputtering angry now do these two have a history or is it just like clearly their characters would not get along they both have egos just too big for the room
1: i don't know enough about nemesis to have an opinion there and i actually have thought he's like one of the weaker characters but this makes him more interesting and if they do have a history like kudos to Superior for kind of referencing it And and if they didn't
0: well they do now
1: and he had some good lines. I actually thought, and I will say one line, I, I thought it was pretty hilarious when he referred to the cape as like a shredded shower curtain.
0: <laughs> it took me a second to, to realize what he was talking about. Like, oh, yeah, it kind of does look like a shredded shower curtain. Uh, so Dr. Nemesis finds, uh, he, he takes a sample of, of Kurt and kind of checks into it. And he says, there's a fusion of mutation and magic. And I think to myself, oh, God, please don't take us back to other worlds, anything but otherworld. To
1: me, is like almost a secondary mutation callback, which I know drives Nick like just batshit crazy.
0: <laughs> I mean, going forward, later in the book, for sure, secondary mut- mutation is is being referenced here.
1: Yeah, so um, I'm sure another Morrison idea coming back is the last thing that uh, Nick wanted, but I don't think he's reading the X Men at this point.
0: So um, this is for people like me that okay. Well, well, Nick, if you are listening, you no. Know, Send us an email or see us in the Slack. That's love yes. secondary mutations coming back. <laughs> so Mr. Sinister says, I, I might have a solution. Have you tried switching it off and back on again? And he shoots Kurt dead. Uh, of course he's resurrected right again, and the only change is the horns are even bigger. Oh well. <laughs> so whatever is going on is affecting the morphological field, hand wave, blah blah blah. To an extent that even the five with a resurrection can't make it go away. Now, I want to say something about death not meaning anything anymore in the X Men, but I've said it so many times, just accept it and move on. Okay, so Dr. Nemesis he finds kind of a signal that seems maybe similar to Kurt's situation, and it's off in Los Angeles, and it's at the headquarters of X Corp. Hey, you remember X Corp, everybody? Uh, and we find there the Black Knight, the Jackie Choper version. Now, she's the daughter of Dane Whitman, they kind of share the title now. She was last seen in a death of Doctor Strange Black Knight tie-in issue, so not. Not a long and storied character, but it is true that she is, at least half the time, she's the Black Knight now.
1: Yeah, and I, I also loved this part. I enjoy the Black Knight character and the kind of, again, a character that's not on anyway's radar. You can kind of evolve them in very dramatic ways. And it's, well, it he was, was in the Eternals first.
0: movie, so maybe he'll be showing up in the cinematic universe.
1: Yeah, yeah, the more classic one. But yeah, it, for me, this was cool. It's nice to see Black Knight. I'm happy. He's he's there at
0: X-Corp. He's fighting this big, ugly, winged creature. But it turns out that that big, ugly, winged creature there at X-Corp is Warren Worthington, Angel. And apparently, whatever's happening to Kirk is also happening to Warren, but much, much worse than just a couple of horns. Yeah, he's like this weird, I don't know, bird monstrosity. So that is the part of this book I kind of (laughs) understood. Meanwhile, in a bunch of other pages mixed in, Okay, Ruben, you just take it. What the hell else is going on with the Magus and Warlock and all that other stuff? I don't get it.
1: Yeah, so I'm going to admit I'm not very um, knowledgeable about the phalanx, so I don't know if this is a retcon of their character or this is just explaining things, but... And anyway, if, and anyway, if we go all the way back to Hoxbox, we remember like one of the um, and I know that these characters existed before Hoxbox, but most recently in Hoxbox, like one of the timelines ends with the phalings showing up and essentially kind of Borg assimilating like humanity. So I view them as kind of like this um, out in the periphery of the universe threat that's like so large and you'd essentially need to like organize your
0: galaxy to like face, you know, basically defend against them. Yeah, it's a big, big Hickman esque idea, right? Yeah, lots of data pages explaining like the different levels of techno this and techno that, and it's it's a huge concept that occasionally intersects with the on panel X Men universe.
1: So, in here, what we're what we're told is basically phalanx are we? I, I guess we've never actually seen them. So they are some extra dimensional um, entity that exists, right? And they feed on. Other realities. And so, how they feed on those realities is they introduce viruses into the galaxy. And then those viruses mutate and kind of um, either consume the matter that exists or um, evolve into this tech, technarch, which are, I guess, um, a robotic race of people. That think they are kind of acting independently. And I guess maybe the Borg would be like what the Technarch are, um, if, if that resonates with anybody. And so then they go out and look for other societies in this galaxy. And if they find them, or I guess not even galaxies, more dimension, they, they go out into this dimension and they look for other you know creatures in the dimension. And if they are creatures that have information that the phalanx already has as part of it, they just destroy them and move on. If they find find some sort of um, being that has new technology or interest or whatever information, then they also kind of absorb them, but then they send them up to the phalanx to feed the phalanx.
0: It's kind of a heads I win, tails you lose situation because either way, the the new civilization is going to get destroyed, either destroyed yes. and thrown away or destroyed and absorbed the useful parts of Yes. Either way, not good news for anyone who gets the attention of the phalanx.
1: Correct. Yeah, and so one one thing that's of interest is so the, the viruses kind of float around, right? And they're just out there, and then they evolve into a threat, right? So you kind of want to avoid the viruses, and two, like if they get a critical mass, I, I guess they send some sort of signal
0: that calls more more of the uh, phalanx to the location. Yes, to begin and this there's simulation. these little bits floating around that we're told are like the ashes of Warlock's dad and that these are possibly going to end up calling the phalanx? Is that what we're worried about? Yes,
1: yes, because so basically, um, Warlock is from a technarch, and his dad was was um, the head of that technarch, but he is a mutant,
0: so he
1: is aware of what,
0: like, that they serve the phalanx and that... Again, we're really stretching that term mutant, because he doesn't have, like, an X gene, he's just kind of, like, kind of weird for his his species.
1: Yes, he's, he's weird in the sense that that the phalanx doesn't have kind of control over him. Yes. So he's like self-aware and like able to not just consume and absorb. And if we remember this is another thing of interest, the um oh gosh, I always forget this term. <laughs> the techno-organic virus that uh Cable has is is part of this phalanx. So it's the higher, it's the level up, you know, just the viral form of it. And so...
0: Um, right, we saw that referenced in, must have been was X-Men Red, because that's what he used to track down the other piece of him that was taken by Abigail Brand.
1: But but anyways, we were told that Magus, who is Warlock's father in, in Legion of X, we were told that he died and that, you know, I guess his his ashes are out there now. So what's new and interesting is they're now in the... Um, oh my gosh, what is this realm The... The astral plane? Thank you. Astral plane. plane. Astral Astral plane. plane. There we go. I I find all these concepts really interesting, and yet I can't remember any of the terms. But anyways, yeah. So the astral plane exists, right? And if we remember, Legion has a um, the altar, which is like a um, home base within the astral plane that at least before this issue had kind of an opening into the rest of the astral planes. So yeah, it's kind of like on go. the
0: border. It's inside his own mind, but also has a border with the larger astral plane, but it's also a place that's more protected so that you know, everybody else can hang out in there and not just be swallowed up by the whole astral planeness of it all.
1: And we're all in the astral plane, but the unique thing is... Um his has become like a dimension with like physics. He can invite people over, Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So anyways, um, the, I guess, warlock and, and Doug show up to the astral plane and they say, Hey, we found these like viral spores on uh juggernaut. And he was like the real world. Like, do we have it? Like, you know, we think these are magus spores and oh, by the way, like it's not great. Cause if there's too many of them, it's going to call a technarch here and, you know, start an assimilation thing. and are there I any think it's here? worth
0: worth mentioning, too, that Warlock in the astral plane looks really different, right? Warlock, yes. we're used to seeing this kind of crazy, uh, you know, distorted, almost graffiti looking black and orange, you know, monstrosity. But here he looks way more human, although he's still all yellow and he's still all naked, he looks kind of like a yellow, happy Dr. Manhattan to me. Like you can imagine Dr. Manhattan on the moon and change your color settings and cheer up a little bit, that's Warlock in the Astral Plane. And that's kind of fun.
1: Yeah. I, I don't mind that, that he wants to look more kind of normal. I guess, well, normal by
0: our standards, right? Mm-hmm. So if that's what's going on with Warlock. And is that going to connect back to what's going on with Kurt? I mean, probably. I guess we'll find out. Uh, Cy Spur does like to do these stories where what you think are... Two different things actually are aspects of the same thing, which can be fun. And I guess there is kind of another small third strand, right? we have got Mother Righteous and Banshee still hanging around, keeping an eye on things. Banshee looking all cosmic ghostwriter because he's sharing his body with a spirit of variance. Not vengeance, variance. And they observe that Warlock, I, I think it's Warlock, has a hitchhiker, which is... Some sort of entity with in the art. The shape of it looks a lot like Nimrod. Which ooh, nice to see Nimrod referenced again. But that's kind of creepy. Wouldn't expect this this particular t- uh, title, but yeah, I guess something Nimrody is following Warlock around or hitchhiking on him. So that could be a big thing going forward. Yeah, yeah, mysterious.
1: But they basically do a search of the altar. They find all these phalanx viral shards. They kind of gather them together, throw it out the door. Um, which then summons like some gigantic hell beast to like from the, you know, I guess this would be another, uh, phalanx creature that like eats the large fireball load. And then everyone goes, Oh shit, they're, they're out here in the astral plane. So we need to shut down the altar, like put up all the guard defenses and not let things come in and out as we were before, which makes uh, people sad. And this seems to be like a... Gotta build a
0: wall, yes.
1: Yeah. Apparently Righteous really, really wants David Haller
0: to um, use her power to protect things. Yeah, that's been a running thing. She wants to tempt him I think it it really is a, a temptation kind of thing to accepting something from her that will She's always said that the only price is you have to say thank, thank you to me.
1: Yeah, and that's the weird what thing. What exactly I,
0: does that mean? That's kind of strange.
1: It's it's bizarre. And we've seen when people were like pissed at her because her gift didn't actually play out well. She was either gonna destroy them or get them to say thank you. So which doesn't seem like that big of a cost, but um I'm interested to see like I it has to be something more than just that, right? So I'm I'm still
0: intrigued. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of pieces going on in this book, and they're not really coming all together for me yet. But I'm intrigued enough to wonder which things are going to fit together and how. So that's that's a good thing going forward. So I know Ruben, you love this book.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna give an eight five. I think the art's great. I love the characters that they're showing in or basically bringing in. Like I'm. Always looking forward to the next Black Knight book. Um, I've always thought, uh, well, basically, anytime Sinister shows up and he's the snarky Sinister, I'm probably going to start at an eight. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I just, I don't know. Uh, To me, this is very interesting stuff. And... Even even just um, helping me understand what was going on in Hawksbox with the sort of our future storyline and when the Phalanx showed up and like what assimilation meant, I really just kind of like shrugged during that storyline. I liked Hawksbox a lot, but like that stuff did not make sense to me. It, like is, it is, is a nice one the book kind
0: of makes an older story mean even more. So that's a nice thing.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. So, I guess um, I'm going to say this is, for me, it's a combination of intriguing and confusing and kind of cool, but kind of, you know, I, some pages I want to skip and get back to the good stuff. And to me, that adds up to like a 7.5. Yeah. Yeah. So that is all we have to say about the books on this week's show. Now, next week it looks like there's only one X-Book coming out, but it is one of our favorites. Kieran Gillen's own Immortal X-Men number 8. Judgment Day may have come and gone, but Gillen's time on Quircoa continues. This looks like it's probably about Mystique and Destiny going back to Edwardian England, which sounds like fun, and I hope we learn more about their connection to Mr. Sinister and maybe something about that event coming up.
1: Yeah, I expect that to be a good story. And we could also talk about the uh, Tooth and the Exiles book, which... Absolutely. Not this week, which we didn't cover. But yeah, I, this
0: week was kind of crowded with books, and next week is very much not crowded. So we're holding Sabretooth The Exiles number one over to be discussed on next week's show. This continues novelist Victor LaValle's exploration of the literal criminal underworld of Krakoa. And uh, Ruben, you've you've read and enjoyed the Sabretooth book before this one?
1: I thought it was okay. People were raving about that book and, and just really loving it. I felt, um, yeah. I don't think I cared that much for the characters, but it had some interesting overall storylines.
0: It definitely has some cool ideas. I wasn't always crazy with how it worked with the larger story, but it had some cool ideas. So I'm I'm hoping he picks those up and gives up some neat stuff going forward. And that's what we'll talk about next week. And for the rest of you, you all keep reading X-Men comics, and we will see you next time. Bye.